I want to start with saying thank you to all that write in with praise and understanding and especially professionalism. This episode's going to fall somewhere between that first one-star review a podcaster receives on iTunes or that first email they get from an angry listener. There might be some adult language during this episode, so be warned. So you want to be a podcaster. Does anyone think that podcasting is easy out there? Because if you do, I have something to tell you. It's not. It takes a lot of time and effort. Most people are podcasting as a hobby, as something they love, a passion. It's not something that they get paid for, so they're taking time out of their day to create free content. I know that Aaron and I, for the Gen Y, surely spend... 20 to 40 hours a week to produce the show that encompasses research, recording, post-production, social media, show notes, everything that goes into the podcast. When Aaron and I first started the Generation Y, we didn't have a lot of ideas. We just wanted to talk about society and culture and topics that impact us. And it just happened to be that the court system and our laws and whatnot, we seem to gravitate towards more than other topics. Uh, Since the inception of the Generation Y, I'm pretty sure that I've been accused of being racist, sexist, anti-cop, pro-cop. I'm not really sure how I can be all those things at once. <laughs> yeah. But I guess it's because I try to come from a more moderate common sense place and not from one side or another. I know when I started the peripheral, I wanted to put something good out into the world. I wanted to, I don't know, give back or something to that effect. I never really cared to make money off of the peripheral. Not that I really planned on making money off the Generation Y either, but it just happens to pay my bills now. When I started the peripheral, the point was to give survivors a non-judgmental place to share a story, break some taboos, and educate the masses on misconceptions about drugs, mental illness, or whatever comes our way. My intention had only been to put something good out into the world. Yet still, people decide to victim blame, point a finger, and shame others for anything, whether it be a bad decision, an addiction, or being victimized. Since I won't shame, judge, or even counter most people's stories, I'm now endorsing drugs, drinking and driving, or however the logical leap works that I'm doing something wrong. It's become obvious that Once my words have left my mouth, I no longer own them. I no longer have control of them. Regardless of my intention, where I'm coming from, what I meant, when I say it on the air, people can skew and distort my words into whatever they want, take offense, get upset, or tell me to go F myself. Context doesn't matter nuance need not apply. And it sucks. 
I've even been told that I'm ruining the reputation of Generation Y and hurting Aaron, my best friend, by having the peripheral podcast. These are just some of the things that I read every day on social media, email, messaging, whatnot. And it's hard to stay motivated. It's hard to continue doing what you do when you get a lot of hate. Now, I will be the first one to admit that 98, 99% of the emails and messages and tweets I see, very positive and supportive. But there is a lot of bad, even if it's 1%. And the way this kind of works is imagine if you're going to a house party and there's 100 people there, 99 of them love you and want to talk to you. But one person there is a hateful person who wants to verbally abuse you. Do you want to go to that house party still? I mean, it's only one person that's saying horrible things about you, but it kind of puts things in perspective. Honestly, I've almost shut down the peripheral twice because of the nastiness that I've received online. Obviously, I haven't. I'm in a much better headspace now and uh, a lot less anxiety about hitting that publish button every time I post a new episode. Anyone that knows me is or has followed me for years, you'll see that I have a uh, strong dislike for online bullying or even a lot of public shaming. Now, some people, that's the only power we have to get rid of somebody that the system doesn't have the balls to go after. But I'm not really into the pile-ons and going after people who I don't think have done anything that justifies the outcry against them. A lot of podcasters get these things on a daily basis. Not all, but a lot of them. I have some snippets from some other podcasters that I'm going to play for you. You might recognize a few. If not, I would say go out and check out all their podcasts because they are truly amazing. I hope this episode doesn't come off as people bitching about or complaining about the haters. I hope it comes out as a little bit more informative and just showing people what any typical podcaster can go through on a daily basis. This is Charlie from Insight and Impact Statement, and I got a review for Insight a while back. I had gone on maternity leave because I had had my sixth baby, and we got a review that said something like, I have too many children and I should use birth control. And I have to say, one, yes, I absolutely have too many children. As someone with six children, I can attest to six children being too many, you don't need to tell me that on iTunes. While this review, I have to say, really didn't bother me because it seemed so absurd, it did make me wonder what my reproductive choices have to do with my true crime podcast and why someone felt that what I do with my uterus was up for discussion because I talk into a microphone. But I find that a lot of women's choices and voices and mannerisms and behaviors are up for policing. 
And I see this in YouTube comments for other women creators. I see this on Facebook all the time. I see people say, oh, yeah, I like that podcast, but I'm not really into women's voices, so I want something else. A lot of people policing how aggressive or how soft or how dumb someone sounds when you hear a man using vocal fry and everyone's cool with it, but a woman uses it and she's being accused of trying to be cutesy. These things are the things I find that interfere with my ability to just focus on my show and produce great content. So I have to just shut it down and not even consider it. It's just there's a wall. I don't look at it. I don't respond to it. If you have criticism of my show, let's have a discussion. But if you have criticism about how many children I choose to birth, about the fact that my voice is a female voice, that my accent is slightly New England, things like that, I don't need to hear it. None of that is up for discussion. Responding to these types of criticisms online is a no-win situation. Your option is either to act gracious as though what they said is helpful in any way, or you respond and you're entertaining this conversation about things that you don't want to discuss, so you're defensive or they're defensive even when you're not, or they accuse you of being defensive even when you're not. So for me, the best way to deal with this kind of criticism is to act like it was never said, which is a hundred times easier to say than it is to do. I'm Ryan. And I'm Rosie. And we're from the Voice of the Victim podcast. And when we saw Justin's comment about any kind of hate we've experienced, we wanted to share our, <laughs> our little slice of that exciting pie. <laughs> the hatred pie? Yeah. Something that's been a little discouraging, but we've moved past it thanks to the support of the podcasting community. Rosie has not heard these comments yet because... I usually manage the social media, so this is going to be her genuine... Pure, yeah. pure reaction to hurt and pain. This is from our episode 6, Terrell Peterson. Someone commented, The title of this is Deceiving. I wanted to hear more about thus... They meant to say this, I think, but they said thus. I wanted to hear more about thus case, not the two idiots on this video. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but in our defense, our, our title is not confusing. Yeah, the title is... Well, first, let me finish the comment. Okay. It said, not the two idiots on this video. <laughs> I thought I was going to hear actual recordings from the little boy while interviewing him. Why? And the mom, etc., etc. And the title is Terrell and Farina Peterson. Failure of Child Services Leads to Dead Child. Which is basically just a summary of the story and... I don't understand where they got the idea that there would be recordings from his CPS sessions. I don't even know where we would find that. And um, then someone else commented after that, The laughing in the beginning of this video greatly diminishes the severity and seriousness of what happened to this beautiful child and should have been omitted. How insensitive. We've, we 
We talked about how well, you, how sad we were. It was just our nervous y- reaction. Yeah, it's tough because people interpret the little nervous ticks as being terrible and insensitive. I wonder if they even listened all the way through before they commented. Well, that's what I was thinking, too, because we definitely try to be as sensitive to the victims as possible, but we're discussing dark and unnatural things, and there's really no natural reaction to talking about child abuse and death, so we're just trying to share his story without losing our minds in the process. But I think it's silly how people interpret our little nervous tics as being insensitive, and somehow that warrants them calling us idiots. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the whole point of us doing this is because we want to help victims and their stories. Yeah. It's like you expect me to be 100% emotionless and just tell you the story, but you're allowed to insult me. Mm-hmm. I feel like saying just make your own freaking podcast if you think you can do it better. But I don't. I try to be polite and tell them that if it bothers them, then Voice of the Victim isn't the show for you. I had replied to that. Sorry to disappoint you, friend. I don't know of any recordings like that for Terrell. We are just sharing his story. Mm-hmm. And thanks for listening to us, quote, idiots talk. And then I made a the laughing emoji because I was making fun of the idiot's comment. And then the same person said, still finding something funny, you effing jackass. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I guess if I come across that way, then that's their own prerogative. But if they listen to our show, I don't feel like they'd think that way. But anyway, I mean, I'm pretty sensitive about being called an idiot because I've always felt since first grade that everyone else knows something I don't know. And I never really understand what other intelligent people are talking about. So comments like this can be really discouraging to me. But I can't say enough times that we're not trying to sound intelligent and prove how much knowledge and understanding we have about Mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. We're just sharing stories and human empathy from the standpoint of being a human being. And Rosie's experienced abuse, so Mm -hmm. I feel like... She's qualified, and every person has their own pain that qualifies them to have an opinion. And so I really want to thank Kate from Ignorance Was Bliss for helping us realize that that being human being does qualify you to be able to, to talk about these kind of things and just try to process them and learn from them. So do you have anything else to say about how these comments affect you? Or I'm glad I don't. Read them on the daily. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I try not to look at them more well, than once a week. I don't want to be sheltered from the truth, but ouch. I know. It hurts. It's crazy. Hi, Justin. This is Christy from Canadian True Crime. Um, Just get it out of the way. I'm obviously an Aussie, but I've been living in Canada for like nine years now. So... That is why I do a Canadian true crime podcast. My review is a Canadian review, and it's actually not a one-star review. It's a two-star review. But rather than a lot of the one-star reviews that comment on my boring read or monotone or something that signifies a more personal preference, that doesn't seem to bother me. But this one really kind of cut me like a knife. So I'm going to read it. So the title of it is Not a Good Representation of Can Crime. And the review says, Canada's true crime stories deserves better. Host seems semi-committal and not very well versed in the Canadian landscape. 
Only the big Canadian famous stories are being covered that Canadians are already fatigued from hearing about and at a glacial pace. So this review cuts me on a couple of different levels. The first one is that it makes it sound like I was somehow elected by the people to tell the true crime stories of Canada and this person voted for the other guy. (laughs) I'm like, I'm just some chick who started writing a script and then got into the closet and (laughs) named her podcast a series of key words that I suspected people might be searching on, Canadian true crime. It clearly states that the, the podcast is independently produced. It has my name instead of Wondery or some other media company. And I've actually even said many times in the podcast that I am a, a full-time worker. I commute to downtown Toronto. I have two little kids and not a lot of time to work on the podcast. And I work on it every single night and have done for the past 18 months. So it really cuts that this person says host seems semi-committal and at a glacial pace. I mean, I only get two to three hours to myself every night and I spend it at the computer. (laughs) I'm just like, oh my God, like if I had any more time to spend on this, I would be. I'm working on this seven days a week. And then they say Canada's true crime stories deserves better. Well, go ahead and start your own Canadian true crime podcast. I don't care. Good luck to you. (laughs) And then not very well versed in the Canadian landscape. Well, duh, like I'm an Australian and I live in Toronto and by damn, I try really hard. I passed my citizenship test with flying colours. So I do know a bit about Canada, but even Casey McCasefile from Casefile mispronounces Australian towns. And he's a, as we call them, fair dinkum Aussie. So all in all, this review is just like, I don't know, I just read it and I just want to quit podcasting immediately, basically. I'm just like, oh, like, why do I even bother? I would much rather be on Netflix watching the latest true crime documentary with a coffee in my hand and relaxing rather than sitting on my computer every night and writing podcast scripts. These people are just cruel. Like They don't know that there is a real person behind the microphone who has spent a shitload of time writing and researching a true crime case and then hold up in their closet for hours trying to record while they cut out the footsteps of their little kids running around outside the bedroom. (laughs) So yeah, this is by far my worst one and from a Canadian. So I wanted to thank you again for letting me come onto your show. Um, I love it. Okay, bye. Hey, Justin, it's Tim and Lance of the Missing More Murray Crawl Space and Empty Frames podcasts. And thank you, Justin, for giving us the opportunity to contribute to your show. We do deal with the nasty side of true crime podcasting, the insults, threats, and other. There, There's a lot going on. There's there's uh, one person in particular who tweets about us on the reg and actually tries to get other people to 
do the same and uh, make videos about us and how we're bad people and interlopers and things like that. When you look at what we do as far as the subject matter is concerned, it is a true crime genre. So naturally, that brings out probably more passionate people than, say, a comedy genre. And I mean, I mean, I know people in the comedy genre are passionate, but they're they're comedy passionate. They're not true crime passionate. And that that group of people, when you're talking about the dark side of what we do, that can be extraordinarily nasty. The good side of it is is really good as we see at CrimeCon, but the bad side of it is your addresses are being put for public viewing in social media settings. How many times have we petitioned Twitter to block somebody or to take something down? It's definitely happened and it kind of depends on the episode or the topic, I think, a lot of times. I know there's uh, some polarizing people that we have on our shows, uh, specifically Missing Maura Murray, and maybe there's an author that we have on there who uh, gets some nasty comments occasionally. And anytime that person is on, we have to block people and delete comments from YouTube because chances are it's all many of the same people with these several accounts writing very similar things. And if you block one, it doesn't do anything. You just got to keep blocking uh, unfortunately and it's something we no one wants to do spend your time looking at that kind of thing and then blocking people but sometimes you don't have a choice when the language is so horrific and recently we've had to endure the hypocrisy of certain people who have made an argument that we're doing this for the wrong reasons for example for money or for popularity or fame or for whatever reason that's not a pure reason like you want answers and you want the best thing for a victim's family and uh, the toxic hypocrisy that we just recently experienced in in just a simple uh, couple posts on Twitter where someone can say, you're doing it because of this. And if something happens that just seems to be something that we might not want, then they're the first in line to say, ha ha, you got scooped. And we're not looking for scoops. And it's so hard to not respond to that. In reality, we're actually happy if something happens that we don't have to get to. The, this particular instance, the reaction was the exact opposite of what this person was making it out to be, which was, oh, good. Thank God that's happening. Right. We'll do this thing and you guys do that. And it's just more people doing this thing that's going towards the answers. Right. And the speculation out there is just that and is just silly. You shouldn't speculate on people's motivations, especially ours, when we've been doing this for three years. It makes me shake my head when we get emails or when I see tweets, oh, we're, we're just sensationalizing or we're just in this for money or whatever reason. That tired argument that we're in it for money. Anybody who knows this industry knows that you don't do it for this long if you're in it for money. I mean, unless you're Malcolm Gladwell or Mark Marin, you know, you're not doing this because you're spreading your cash out on the floor and making snow angels with it. It's something that you, you just, you, you don't realize that the train's a runaway train until you're well into it. And at that point, you can't jump off. It's also interesting how quick it takes you to get used to being attacked. But the worst one of them all was our foiled trip to Lincoln, New Hampshire. There were these GPS coordinates that a mysterious person had been emailing in relation to Moore Murray, and we decided that a hike to these coordinates was in order. We made sure to keep the trip on the down low. A couple of days before leaving, we were tagged in a bizarre tweet which indicated that our location was known. It was a picture of a penny, which has Lincoln on it, we were in Lincoln, New Hampshire, and the year of Moore's birth. It also came from a weird celebrity death pool account. 
Now, the night before the hike, we were staying at a motel, and a series of emails began to come through. They started off friendly enough, but rapidly became more aggressive, with one of the last ones referencing an unsolved murder which occurred in the area to a person who, quote, was not minding their own goddamn business. We then decided that the hike to the coordinates could be some sort of trap, and we canceled the trip. The next morning, probably around six or seven, both Tim and myself, as well as our hiker guide, in a separate room, received phone calls. No one speaking, just hanging up. And I remember a while ago, we had a particular troll who just kept coming at, at us, just kept coming at us and at us and at us. And you're, you're idiots. I can't believe you don't see this. And he thought people were hacking his phone and his computer. And it must be this person because literally an equation that looks like what Will Hunting did on the, on the wall of Harvard. This all happened. And this means that this person is responsible for it. And I can't believe you guys don't see it because you're idiots. And really just this, this uh, again, this toxic nature that was put out there. I know it pushed me to a point where I just couldn't take it anymore. It was going to happen. A, a sternly written email was going to happen. And then you shut off all communication with the with the person. And maybe that's sort of cathartic and you need to get through that. But ultimately, you have to take the air out of them. Right. Well, in that specific case, that person was being manipulated by another person to believe some things and to come at us. And so he was doing that. And then we told him he was being manipulated by that person. And he just was like, <laughs> yeah, Right. And right, because he's too smart to get manipulated. Right. But then a month or two later, he came around, and after we had no contact with him, he emailed us, oh, you guys were right about that guy. Like, yeah, no shit, man. Yeah, you know, you were right about this guy, and he was manipulating me. In the back of our heads, or even like towards the front of our heads, there's still that possibility that that guy told him to tell us, well, just tell him that I'm the bad guy, and that, that way they'll come back around. Yeah, the, there's a lot of people playing games. We don't. We don't uh, partake or engage if we can. Hey everyone, this is Maggie from The Disappearance of Maura Murray, and I am so excited to have been asked to do this because this is something I really believe in, and I think it is so important that we are sharing our stories about what we go through with online harassment and vitriol because so often we just read the nasty email or the comment and brush it off and say, oh, they're not worth our time, and we just compartmentalize it. And there's only so much compartmentalization you can do before it really starts to affect you and affect your your mental health the other thing is is it takes so much courage to put yourself out there in such a public way to have people who don't know you talk trash for the sake of being mean and for the sake of just trying to bring you down is a really sad reflection on society because these people don't know what we are going through in our lives. They don't know what we deal with on a daily basis. It's just sad that there are people out there who need to be mean for the sake of being mean and just because we are in the public, we are those targets. I think the other thing is it's just really different when you're a woman and you put yourself out there. And so getting to some of the comments that I get, that's mostly what I get. Really inappropriate sexual comments. For example, this morning I woke up to a message from somebody on Facebook and it was a photo of his genitals. And, you know, it's just... It's just really frustrating because I try to engage with the public and accept friend requests so people can ask me legitimate questions. And so to have somebody abuse that 
is is just annoying and it's harassment to send unwanted dick pics sorry it's the 21st century and i'm pretty sure we're all aware these days that dick pics unsolicited are not wanted but then there are the ones that are really nasty and just filled with hate and it just makes you wonder who these people are that can hate a stranger so much and i would love to have a good conversation about constructive criticism but these aren't them so here is one from a woman who says she is a crime buff and has worked for four pds in california she's also a tech writer and a crime writer She is disgusted by my conduct on the program. I am a total idiot making a fool of myself among real officers. Either qualify or stay the fuck out of the business. Um, I guess these are the ones that are not productive because I never presented myself as a police officer. It's pretty evident that I have presented myself as a journalist and I have never tried to qualify as an officer. So this is one of the examples of just people who don't even know what they're mad about being mad and sending just nasty emails. Here's another really fun one. Nice tats, numbnuts. I've gotten quite a few of, you know, apparently my tattoos get in the way of my brain. I guess you can't have tattoos and be intelligent. That just must be some rule of thumb I wasn't aware of. So... Yeah, I think that anybody who's going to try and say things like that to bring you down are just trolls and they really need to take a look inside. Hi, this is Marissa from The Vanished. There are two kinds of comments that I'd like to share with you today. The first is just the purely hateful comments. Here's an example of one of those. It's hard to make fascinating content boring but this host does it. I feel bad for all the lost people that won't be found because this show lost their interest in the first five minutes. Here's the best part. The host should get human trafficked. Another purely hateful comment that I got was on Twitter, and that was telling me to die in a fire. I try not to let these kinds of comments get to me because it's pretty clear that the problem here is most likely the person writing the comment. I just figure they're probably unhappy with something in their own lives and they're taking it out on me. And if it wasn't me, they'd probably be doing it to somebody else on the internet. The other kind of comment I wanted to share are the ones that are directed more towards the content of my show. If you've never listened to The Vanished, I'll tell you that I try to cover people from all different backgrounds. Basically, I get my stories when I'm contacted by a friend or family member of The Missing. Most of the stories that I cover are ones that don't get much media coverage. Often their families are just desperate for some kind of attention to their case so people will realize that they're missing. Sometimes I get comments that I consider to be victim-blaming. Here's an example of one. Addicts disappear, mom complains, host records. Episodes feature high-risk people who live dangerously, questionably, or illegally. There are two broad criteria for the show. An active missing persons report and a request by a family member, friend, or law enforcement agent willing to be interviewed. The interviewee provides content by phone, which is biased and unexamined. Host Marissa Jones is defensive when responding to listeners. Who are we to judge someone's worthiness? Well, your audience decides worthiness via listenership. As a citizen, I'm interested in those less likely to have contributed to their victimhood. 
As a listener, I prefer more compelling, empathy-inspiring cases. What bothers me about those kinds of comments is that they're often posted where families can see them. These families have been dismissed over and over again, often by police and the media. And I do feel so strongly that I can't say to someone, sorry, I'm not going to cover your missing child because they used drugs at some point in their life. While it upsets me, for every comment that I get like that, I get many more from people who say, thank you, I can relate to this story because, and then they tell me a personal story. Maybe they had a family member who struggled with addiction, or maybe they did themselves. It just goes on and on. So while I often wake up to some of these comments and it starts my day off on a bad note, I do my best not to let it get to me. And try to remember, for every nasty comment, there's been so many more that have been positive and supportive. One way that this has kind of changed my life is that I really try to make an effort to leave positive reviews for shows that I like, and it even applies to other things. Like, I always make a point to leave a positive Yelp review if I had a good experience at a restaurant. Hey, Justin, it's Devin from Thinking Sideways, the podcast. Um, First of all, I just wanted to thank you for doing this project and kind of bringing to light some of the really horrible things that uh, we content creators face on the internet. And also thank you for asking me to participate. I have some really great stories for you, which I am super excited to share. One thing every single person who creates content online knows is that the internet is just horrible. It's a horrible place. You don't ever really want to put anything that you love out there because somebody will find a reason to make fun of it or ruin it, which is cool, I guess. You know, we've gotten some really kind of horrible reviews where people basically say, I'm an idiot who doesn't know anything. I'm a ditz. Uh, The show would be way better off if it was just my two co-hosts who are both male. Uh, You know, I must just be like a cute girl who brings no real value to the show. And that's Not fun to read, but not really the worst of some of the stuff that I've seen. One thing to get out of the way real quick here is something that happened to me and a friend, and it was really targeted more at her, but I somehow got looped up in it. My friend Sarah, who creates Sarah Scribbles, which are pretty much the most wholesome, cutest comics that anybody could ever create ever. We did a meetup with her when we were at CrimeCon in Nashville, and... We announced it on Twitter, both of us, and somebody tweeted us bestiality edits of her comics, which I don't know why people think that shit is okay. I mean, really, dude? Like, this is how you choose to interact with the world is by editing something super wholesome. And this isn't even my content. Like, I'm just so worked up about the fact that I even had to see this shit because it was, like, really awful and disgusting and I hated it. And that was just something that somebody thought that it was okay to subject us to because we have, I guess, popular Twitters. I don't even know. My Twitters aren't even that popular. Ah! Anyway, I just want to talk about that real quick because it's kind of this insight into It's not just podcasting. It's not just us. I personally have experienced some things. I mean, like I said, uh, Steve and Joe, my co-hosts, they experience the same kind of bad negative feedback. There's always somebody who thinks the show would be better off without one of us or all of us. 
apparently that wouldn't even be a show, but whatever. A lot of our fans like to come to our rescue a lot of times when people are saying something bad or something, I don't know, maybe a little sexist or just objectifying in general. But, you know, Joe's got a really deep voice and people talk about his voice all the time. And people talk about sometimes how attractive my voice is. Can't you tell? And people like Steve and the way he looks and the way he talks. And that's just part of putting yourself out there online. And I, I wish it wasn't, but it is. And I know that it's sometimes a little more aggressive and creepier when it happens to me. An example of this would be even within the first month of us putting out content, um, we were getting these emails from men. I think they're men. I, I frankly, I don't know. But one in particular was really awful where uh, I think this was really honestly in the first month that we put content out at all. Some guy sent us an email and he ended the email by saying, the way that Devin says goodbye at the end of an episode makes me know that she knows that some of her listeners are stroking themselves to the sound of her voice. This was not an isolated incident. We get emails like this, this explicit, aimed towards me on a less frequent basis now. Or maybe it's just that Steve and Joe are better at clearing them out of the (laughs) inbox because we share an inbox. But that's something that I deal with that I know they don't deal with. There's nobody emailing them just detailing the really explicit things that somebody would like to do to them, which is just so abusive and awful. We create this this podcast about unsolved mysteries, and you think that that gives you the right to somehow detail some explicit fucking bullshit that you're doing to yourself to the sound of my voice? I just don't understand. I mean, I don't understand the mentality there, and I don't understand why I should have to be subjected to something like that because I'm creating something that I love. It's so shitty. It's so awful. One of the other really, (laughs) I have a lot of these stories apparently. One of the other really horrible things that happens to me online is places like Reddit. I have more than once been referred to as the hole on the show. Yeah, like like a part of of female genitalia, not even worth being called, you know, the girl or the woman or the female, which is awful in and of itself. But I'm not even worthy of being identified as anything other than part of my genitalia. That's also kind of horrible too, right? I mean, the the whole, really? That's It's not even creative. What are you doing? Last but not least, I tell people this story a lot because it's easily one of the most upsetting things that's ever happened to me. And it it may not seem on the face of it very upsetting, but... I just want you to put yourself in my position and also just sit with it for a couple days and and let it and let it hang out in your brain. If you listen to the show, you may or may not know that for the first three-ish years of existence, we really valued our privacy and decided that we didn't want our faces to be shown. So we were pretty secretive and and I guess some people took that as a challenge because one day on Twitter, Somebody just tweeted me a picture of my parents' house. Not like a Google Street View of my parents' house, but like an actual picture of my parents' house. And this was so disturbing to me because like not only did somebody take the time to find out my real identity and and probably my address and all of that stuff. No, no, they had to take it a step further and find my parents' house, which is in the same city as I live. So it would have been just as easy for them to drive over to my house and be like, oh, look. 
look how scary I am. I know your address, which would have been just as freaky. But they decided to also take the time to figure out who my parents are and find their address and go to their house and take a picture and tweet it, which is horrifying. And and maybe even more horrifying than that was that I reported it to Twitter and they said, no, the, there's nothing we can do. But that that was... Uh, one of the the biggest times in my podcasting career that I really had to take a step back and decide if doing the podcast, creating this free content that I really just enjoyed creating and loved, if it was worth it anymore. I mean, people, at least one person decided that it was okay to just take a picture of my parents' house and share it with me. To be 100% honest, at that point, I my answer was no. I I took that as a threat to my family and, and friends, and I just, I didn't want to do it anymore. But it happened right before we went to CrimeCon the first year in 2017, and that was when we did reveal our identities. We started sharing pictures with people of us and what we looked like and and that seemed to have I guess satisfied this troll or or whatever had happened so basically I just decided if it happens again that's it I'm calling it quits and it hasn't so that's good I guess yeah those are some of my stories I'm you know less enthusiastic now than I was at the beginning of recording this because holy shit anyway that's what I have to say. Thank you again, Justin, so much for really just, I guess, talking about this issue at large and and, um, inviting me to be a part of it. And I hope these stories were enlightening. After listening to a lot of those stories, I'm sure it's obvious that uh, being a female podcaster or just a female online in general can be trying and tiresome. Men are not immune by any stretch of the imagination, but it would be hard for me to say that I know what it's like for a woman to try to put something creative and good out on the internet because of the harassment they will receive. As I said, most podcasters are regular people. Somehow we reach some sort of celebrity status that I still to this day do not understand, but that's okay. The problem is we are just regular people trying to do a passion, trying to just create something. And most of us don't know how to handle going from Joe Schmo, regular person at home, raising kids, paying our mortgage, doing what normal people do, to being thrust out into some sort of limelight, even if we have a hundred listeners. Also, like I try to put out on my peripheral all the time is the victim blaming. And what I hear the most when people attack somebody online is, well, you put yourself out there, what'd you expect? So I deserve somebody writing in and telling me that I'm a horrible person because I put myself out there. Is that how it's supposed to go? I had one guy tell me that the peripheral was a bunch of dumb women whining about their feelings. Another person whose profile had the rainbow overlay and anti-bullying posts all through the Facebook profile told me that the Generation Y should be called 
Generation, why the fuck am I listening to this? He went on to threaten to punch me in the face if I ever came to Portland. The irony of this guy's profile was not lost upon me. Another guy on Twitter told me that my brother made the right choice. For those of you that are in the know, my brother passed away back in 2004. After blocking this guy, he set up another fake account to tell me what a pussy I was. And blocking people really just turns into them screenshotting that you've blocked them. And then they repost that and say, look what I've done. And it's a badge of honor when they're blocked. Somehow they've won now because you blocked somebody that's saying hateful stuff to you. Now, at the beginning, I said that I've thought about quitting this show twice. I actually recorded my final episode. This is a show I do out of the kindness of my heart. I do not receive any sponsorship for this show. It's only my patrons on Patreon. I don't ask for money. I don't give ultimatums or threaten to shut my show down because I'm not making money. I don't have a release schedule because I do the show in my free time. It's funny that all the things I think are my weaknesses, I've never been criticized for. It's always something out of left field that hits me in the face and cuts like a knife. I've removed myself off most social media. That helps me mentally, but it's kind of impossible to promote a podcast without social media. I'm at the point where I question myself and if I'm a good person or not because of some of the emails I've received. It's not the same, but I would equate it to if you are being verbally abused over and over and you start to lose confidence in yourself. I stopped reading reviews for my show. I avoid Googling myself or my name. Podcasters can't even respond to critical tweets or reviews. Doing so typically makes them look like an asshole, and your listeners will see you fly off the handle, whether it be justified or not, even though nobody knows that this is the hundredth email telling you that you read some word wrong, or you mispronounced a town, or that your brother made the right choice. It just looks like we're lashing out at our fans and our listeners if we've had enough of the criticisms and negativity that comes our way. I mispronounce names and cities all the time. You might send me an email saying, oh yeah, by the way, it's, it's Louisville, not Louisville, or something like that. I don't mind the constructive emails, but guess what? Your email is not the first one I received telling me that. It's probably the 25th one I've received. Also, what am I supposed to do? I mispronounce a name of a town. Am I supposed to take the episode down? Re-record the entire thing? I'm getting a little off track. Sorry. I have thousands of listeners for the peripheral and hundreds of thousands for the Generation Y. Social media and our followers make up less than 1% of our listener base. And of that fraction of a percent, it's even a smaller fraction of people that have something crappy to say. So what I really want to convey is if you ever have something critical or some criticism to say to somebody online, don't be a jerk about it. Imagine reading it out loud to your family at Thanksgiving or some family gathering. Would you be proud of it? What if you received that email? How would you take it? Would you assume, oh, that person's so right. I am a jerk. Or do you double down on whatever you said and send off a nasty email right back to them? I'm not a mean person. I don't 
care to hurt other people's feelings. So every single email I get telling me that I'm a bad person, I just believe it. Expanding on that, when you make a tweet online, when you when you say anything online, this is going to come off pretty hippie, but you should really try to come from a place of love and caring and not a place of hate. For example, this is just a trend I've seen lately, a little disturbing to me. If you're sick of hearing white male podcasters podcasting, instead of tearing them down, maybe promote female podcasters, support people of color, encourage others that you want to hear podcasts to do so. Since I started podcasting in 2012, I think between Aaron and I, every month we probably give advice or help other podcasters two to four times a month. And I don't care who they are, I will help them. I would never try to discourage anyone from doing this, from trying to do good in the world. I just don't do it. When helping other podcasters, I find myself getting wrapped up with associations or being on someone's side. This is another aspect of podcasting is most podcasters are very supportive of each other. A lot are not. There's a lot of drama out there. And I'm only in this to create something. I don't really care about who said what about who. When we think about women being harassed on the street or a man being beaten, why didn't someone go help people standing up for each other? That's what we need to do. I have one more clip from one more person who has something to say about that. The world feels like it's becoming an ugly place. People are quick to criticize, demean each other. But what if we could change that? Ask yourself this. If you could design the world, what kind of world would you want? Would you want a world where everyone's beating each other up? Physically? Emotionally? Or would you want a world where people are supportive of one another? This is a question I think everyone should ask themselves. If you've answered that you wanted the world to be a better place, what are you doing to make it so? Each day, have you offered anyone any positive words? Any words of encouragement? Are you supporting people who are your peers? If you find that you are spreading negativity, if you're being overly critical, if you feel jealousy or anger, then you aren't contributing to a better world. This doesn't mean that you're a failure or you're a bad person. It just means that perhaps now is the time to reevaluate what kind of world you're living in and what kind of world you want. I was reading about how studies show that negative experiences outweigh positive ones. A simple way to put it is, we remember losing $50 much more than winning $50. And the more negativity we experience, the more likely it is that we're going to put it back out there ourselves. My hope is that criticism isn't something we just toss out because it's negative. Instead, why not criticize where you feel it's necessary, but also add in words of encouragement afterwards? In other words, if there's something that someone does that you don't like, feel free to let them know, but also add in what you do like about them. Now, you don't have to feel like you're going out of your way for someone you don't care for, but what you are doing 
is you are making the world a better place. If your criticism is valid, someone who has received some praise from you is more likely to take your criticism to heart and do something about it, something positive. They may just change something that they were doing that you don't like. I think the reason why so many people choose to be negative and choose to put other people down is because they don't think anything else is worth their time. They're not happy about something. They're going to let you know. But that won't change anything. So I would encourage anyone who's listening to this, think about the words you're using. Think about how you're approaching each day. And maybe consider supporting people rather than putting them down. I think it would be great to wake up and instead of thinking about how horrible the world is, think about what you can do that day to make it a better place for everyone. I have a lot more to say about the topic, but I think I've rambled on enough and I think I've made a point here. Funny enough, I had a whole script written out for this episode, but I just picked up my microphone and started talking instead. I usually do better with just winging things and not planning them out. So this is what you get. This was just a important episode for me to cover. It's something that affects me on a daily basis. But like I said, I'm uh, I'm in a much better place now. And I was going to release this episode when I was in a dark place. And you could only imagine how it would have come off then. But doing good. I have many more interviews lined up. I have many more stories I need to tell. So in a nutshell, be nice to podcasters. I don't know why this has to be said out loud. And for podcasters, stay motivated, delete, block, and mute when possible. Make the podcast that you want to hear. Make the one that you want to exist in this world. The Peripheral is exactly the podcast I thought was missing from our lives. And it's what I wanted to hear. And it might not be what others wanted to hear but I wasn't making it for them.